is White Sox Weekly, your all-access pass to everything White Sox. That baby will go! Lance Lynn with an absolute gem. Big hooray! It is gone! It's a no-hitter! Carlos Rodon! What a performance! Now here's your host, Connor McKnight. Good morning and welcome into White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I am Connor McKnight. We've got an hour to hang out and talk a little White Sox on this new year. Happy New Year, everybody. The first White Sox Weekly of 2022. Hopefully it is the first of just a handful more lockout episodes of White Sox Weekly. The lockout's still going on, although uh, I have some interesting stuff for you on this morning's show. As always, you can follow us on Twitter. Uh, I'm at C1 McKnight. You can follow us, the station, the White Sox Radio Network, at ESPN White Sox on Twitter. All the news and updates regarding uh, our broadcasts and broadcast info and all the Twitter polls and all that kind of stuff. You can get in touch with Len and DJ on that Twitter handle, at ESPN White Sox. You're going to want to make sure you're following that during the lockout. And as soon as spring training starts, of course, we'll have our broadcast schedule for you. Uh, as soon as we've got it, tweet it out on ESPN White Sox. By the way, there's still time to get your hands on a White Sox holiday pack starting at $79. You can get six ticket vouchers to 56 different home games during the 2022 regular season, along with an exclusive White Sox hat and scarf set. Visit WhiteSox.com slash holiday packs to purchase yours today. You can email the show. Our producer, Tyler Aki, is diligently uh, compiling all of the emails that have popped into the mailbag. We're piling them up for a future mailbag episode. You can send us your emails. Ask us anything. Ask us about the broadcast. Ask us about the ballpark or the game or the White Sox. Anything you want to talk about. Uh, Connor at ESPN Shy. That's E-S-P-N-C-H-I. Connor at ESPN Shy.com. That's the email address for the mailbag. You can also... Download all of our episodes of the ESPN Chicago app. Just download it, head over to the White Sox Weekly tab, and grab all of our former episodes. If you want to take a listen to some interviews like we did with Chris Getz as the Arizona Fall League was going on, or if you're interested in the positional review and preview episodes, you can go back and take a look at some of those. Uh, This episode today, this morning, is going to be a, a, a part review preview episode We're going to focus in on right field, but we are also going to check in on the lockout through a conversation that Chris Rose had with Lucas Giolito. You know, Chris Rose, formerly of the MLB Network, now uh, hosts a podcast, among many, many other things, uh, but does the Chris Rose rotation. And Lucas is a frequent, if not a regular guest on the Chris Rose rotation podcast. It's part of John Boy Media. But Rose had Zach Britton, Marcus Semien and Lucas Giolito on one of his prior shows back on the 27th of December, so just a couple of days ago. And the reason that those three guys are, are, were on the show is that each one of them are pretty prominent in the Major League Baseball Players Association. They're union reps. Uh, Britain's a technically free agent at this point. Semien now with the Rangers and Lucas Giolito with the White Sox uh, play big parts in the players' union. So Rose kind of talked through some of the developments or lack of developments in the lockout between the Players Association and the ownership um, and kind of went through some details. And I think you might even hear something interesting in in some of this regarding Lucas Giolito's thoughts on a potential long-term contract 
with the White Sox once those kind of transactions are allowed per their labor relations rules and lockout. So let's get going and hear from Lucas Giolito. Again, this is on Chris Rose's podcast through John Boy Media, the Chris Rose Rotation. And I thought we'd start with uh, some background that Lucas gave the podcast and all the viewers and listeners and now White Sox fans here at White Sox Weekly. Uh, he was asked, what made you get involved in the Players Union and what made you interested in that kind of thing from the beginning? It started back in the day. Um, my uncle, my dad's brother, is a uh, labor lawyer. Um, so that kind of like union uh, representation uh you know, fighting for the workforce uh, has been like huge in my family. Um, he's had cases up against some of like the biggest corporations in America. So I learned all about it at a young age. And then when I got into baseball, um, I was in- introduced to like the MLB Players Union at this like event held for prospects. Um, I forget what it's called. Uh, but we had a meeting with Tony Clark uh, where he kind of went over the list of like what the union's all about in baseball. Uh, You know, when you guys get to the big leagues, like this is a very important part, you know, understanding the business of the game and and how all this works. And I was kind of hooked right then and there when I was like 19 years old. And so, yeah, when I did make it up to the big leagues, uh, I was not a player rep immediately. Um, you know, I just tried to kind of watch and learn uh, from, you know, the player reps uh, on the Nationals and the White Sox. And then uh, I ended up getting voted in uh, a couple of years ago uh, to represent the White Sox. And here I am now. Lucas has become a pretty vocal guy in that players association, well respected uh, for some of the reasons that he just kind of outlined there. He was also asked, Lucas was, how the sudden stop, the ownership imposing a lockout has affected him and his Players Association brethren and other players who are kind of either with places to play but not places to train or without both. Guys who who don't have teams, free agents, don't have teams and don't have places, uh, you know, obviously provided by teams to go get ready for the coming season as of right now. Well, yeah, I mean, that's just kind of like, where we're at that's that's part of the process right now um i think that you know zach touched on this uh going through the pandemic year uh kind of fighting for what we wanted as players uh really coming together communicating well uh that puts us in a good position now uh when there is all that uncertainty that we know where we stand we know what we need to fight for in this process and you know even if things are delayed a little bit um we're here we're ready to negotiate we're going to keep pushing for you know getting a season going as soon as possible that idea of getting a season going as soon as possible was a common refrain whether it was lucas giolito or marcus Semyon or zach Britton, all of them guests on uh, the chris rose podcast the chris rose rotation that's where we're grabbing some of this audio from, and we certainly appreciate the fine work that Chris Rose does. Uh, Giolito, a frequent guest on that show, and shared a little bit more of, of his thoughts on the union's position, uh, this idea that they are open for business. They're ready to talk, uh, and that's what it sounds like is coming up in this month of January. The idea was that the big economic issues would get back on the table at some point here in the next week or two uh, anyway, Lucas says the union is open to talk. Well, the good news from our end is that we're we're here. We're ready to negotiate. 
you know, we're pretty much waiting on MLB. Um, we're, you know, we've, we've made our proposals. We made multiple proposals uh, right before they decided to lock us out. Uh, they said no. They weren't interested at the time. Uh, so we're here. We're ready to negotiate. We're not going to negotiate against ourselves. You know, it takes two to tango. So uh, that's kind of where we stand as players, as the union. Uh, we want to get something done. We're very interested in improving the game, uh, you know, making it so that uh, players are fairly compensated throughout their career while also making it more competitive. And that's just where we, where we want to get to uh, as soon as possible. You can tell there's a sense of urgency, or at least uh, they're communicating a sense of urgency, are the Players Association. Lucas kind of making that clear here. Obviously, you know, the, the terms are from the union's perspective about economic fairness getting a bigger slice of the pie or i guess as they would kind of put it um and lucas will put it here in just a second a a fair slice of the pie remember this is a negotiation right and both sides are going to communicate their desires and their positions as as the one that they deem fair that that's just kind of the way business works in an open collectively bargained negotiation like this either way and and you know whichever side you want to end on or or if you think the players are being unreasonable about this thing or the owners are being uh way too unreasonable about that thing i I get it i I think we'll have conversations about those particular items or or that kind of sense of things later on but right now and i've talked about this when the lockout first started here on the show right now what we have are negotiating stances, whether that's from the ownership or the Players Association. We don't really have negotiation points. We really don't have anything concrete from either side about which you and I can, can kind of have a discussion here on the show. They're, they're just not at that point yet, so we don't get to be, or I guess depending on your point of view, have to be at that point yet here on the show. Either way, Lucas reiterated that their plan, their idea, what they hope to do as a union in this negotiation is improve the game as best they can. One of the clear messages that, that we want to make is that we're doing this to improve the game. You know, the fans are like the lifeblood. You know, they are uh, the reason why we play. Uh, they pay the tickets. They watch it on TV. They support the, these teams. We want to make the game better for them. We want, you know, 30 teams competing, trying to field the best possible players uh, so that the game is more competitive. That's kind of what we are, like, stressing with our proposals is let's make the game better for everybody. Uh, number one being the fans. So that's kind of where we're at. Now, from the players' standpoint, part of improving the game is having all the teams on a more even playing field from an economic standpoint. You know, the idea, and they talked about this on the show, uh, all four of these guys did, the idea that Max Scherzer is going to make just about as much as the Pirates or Cleveland Guardians payrolls all told, right? I mean, the entire payroll of the Pirates or the entire payroll of the Cleveland Guardians doesn't add up to the amount of money that Max Scherzer is going to get from both his new contract with the Mets and the deferred money that he's already getting from the Washington Nationals in their pack, their, his old contract, um, that's a problem as, as the players see it. So having a better game from their standpoint obviously involves a lot more players getting more pieces of the pie and teams, more teams, being more competitive. Uh, whether that's something you think 
baseball needs at that point is a different story altogether. But from their perspective, that's obviously what they're looking for. Now, one last bit here. This has all been super lockout-y and negotiation-focused and whatnot. Chris Rose asked uh, Lucas a, a fairly interesting question from a perspective that not many have considered, or at least not many outside of a real hardcore White Sox fandom. You know, everybody here listening to White Sox Weekly. Chris asked, and uh, the question's in here, but Chris asked how this lockout is affecting Lucas's, you know, kind of both the mindset or, you know, the actuality of the potential long-term contract that may or may not be in discussion uh, between him and the White Sox. This negotiation, I know it's for the greater good of the game, but for you individually, feels like there's a lot on the line, isn't there? In what sense? What do you mean a lot on the line? Well, if the system changes at all, this could really benefit you quicker, perhaps. Is that possible? Uh, I'm, I'm in a position where I'm pretty much two years out from free agency. So, like Marcus said, you know, I'm, I'm in the position where I've been trusting the system, going through the system, uh, six-year reserve system, going into year five. Uh, yeah, I mean, for us, a huge thing that, that we want to do is allow players to kind of realize their value earlier in their career. Um, you know, I'm kind of past that point now. So, you know, I'm just kind of trusting the ARB system. And uh, like we've been stressing here, uh, this is for, like, future generations, the greater good of the game in general, making the game better and allowing players to have a fair share of the pie. Um, I'm not too worried about myself right now. So I thought that was some interesting stuff from Lucas Giolito, all the way back to uh, his interest in getting involved in the union up until the point where he, you know, and he... He played it a little bit off the hip, the question about the long-term contract and and really kind of said his faith is in the arbitration process, which, you know, you kind of understand. But there are, you know, Lucas talked about it and he has before, I think even on this show, there are real world implications to uh, fandoms, to long-term plans of individual franchises like the White Sox and others uh, that are all related to to this CBA, to this lockout negotiation. So I'm glad uh, and we really appreciate the work done by Chris Rose and the Chris Rose Rotation, uh, the podcast, and Bratton brought you some of the Lucas sound there. If you're interested in the whole show, it's a good one, about an hour long. Just head over to YouTube and, and punch in the Chris Rose Rotation. It was the uh, December 27th episode um, and well worth your time. We've got plenty more on White Sox Weekly that we think is well worth your time, too. We'll get back into the position review and preview section of White Sox Weekly here in the offseason. Last week, we focused on second base. This week, we keep the drama high. We'll get into right field and the plans the White Sox may have for 2022. Sox fans, you can completely customize your 2022 season with a 10-game ticket plan that fits your schedule and budget. Don't miss any of the action to come. For more information, visit WhiteSox.com or call 312-674-1000. Right field. That's next. White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly on Chicago's home for sports. ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's home for sports. 
on app. The ESPN Chicago app. In HD. 100.3 HD2. And of course on AM. ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I'm Connor McKnight. And Sox fans, you can get the latest team gear to rep all season long at the Chicago Sports Depot. Be sure to follow the at White Sox store on Instagram for series, sales, and more. For store hours and information, visit whitesox.com slash depot. As it happens, I was was just at the Chicago Sports Depot. It was like, I don't know, two days before Christmas because that's when I do my Christmas shopping. But I have a, I have a little two-year-old nephew. Well, he's about to be two. Uh, little two, two on Jackie Robinson Day. We're all very excited for probably bringing him to his first big league game on the south side. Maybe even for that very day. Um, the young man lives in Minneapolis, so you know that's that's not his fault; it's his father's fault. But he lives in Minneapolis, so he's been to a Twins game. We got to get him to a White Sox game. But I, I, the little guy, needed a White Sox hoodie, so he's just like in between sizes. He's like in that two. If you have young kids, or if you've you've had young kids in your lives, I'm just realizing this. Our, my little nephew is the first, uh, you know, first little kid in the immediate family. So I'm asking his parents, you know, two T or three T, where are we at? That kind of thing. And after a long discussion with my brother, uh, my nephew's dad, we decided that the right way to do this was to buy the three T size, even if it is a little too big, because that way for a playoff push next season, then he's really fitting out into the hoodie uh, and, and, and strutting his stuff for the playoff run for the White Sox in 2022. Anyway, the Chicago Sports Depot is a great place to get your White Sox gear uh, I certainly did. It worked out really well. We're diving back into the staple segment of the offseason here on White Sox Weekly. It's the positional review and preview series. We take a look at each position, uh, what happened for the White Sox at that position in 2022, the good, the bad, the ugly, uh, the best, all of it. We take a look at what that position could look like in next year's situation, in 2022. So the schedule that we've gone through so far, if you want to go back and listen to the bullpen episode, that was on October 23rd. Of course, Kendall Graveman wasn't signed at that point. We've got an episode on the signing of Kendall Graveman, and then then there's obviously the potential trade of Craig Kimbrell, so we will likely revisit the bullpen uh, once those rosters are set. We took a look at first base on the 30th of October. We just covered second base Last week, uh, Christmas Day, our podcast focused on second base. You can go use the ESPN Chicago app to download each and every one of those episodes if you want to go back position by position. Since we're opening right field today, I I, want to do what we've done for each position up until this point. And that's look back at all of the players the White Sox used in right field in 2021 and kind of evaluate the seasons. This will be a little bit quicker in some places or with some players than others, because, well, the White Sox should be moving on into kind of a, a new era in right field, or at least ought to be moving on to a new era in right field in 2022. Obviously, the plan in the offseason, uh, one of the first signings the White Sox made for the 2021 year was the Adam Eaton signing for $7 million, plus the $1 million buyout for his second season, for the option on that second season. So call it eight to Adam Eaton. Of the positions, you know, the White Sox employed, you know, everybody has, you know, all, all nine spots and then the DH as well. Um, more DHs were used by the White Sox than any other position. And the second position where the White Sox used the most players was left field. The second was right field. 
right field had 11 different players in 2021. And it makes some sense, right? I mean, the injuries the White Sox suffered uh, to Aloy Jimenez and Luis Robert and Adam Eaton uh, before he was released all necessitated a lot of different players used at every spot in the outfield. Uh, Left field the most and right field second most with 11 different players. Those 11 that played in right field in 2021, you likely remember probably all of them. Adam Eaton, Brian Goodwin, Leary Garcia, Andrew Vaughn, Gavin Sheets, Adam Engel, Jake Lamb, Danny Mendick, Luis Gonzalez, Romy Gonzalez, and Billy Hamilton played there twice. Now, for the purposes of, of this part of the podcast, this position review and preview series, I'm going to skip over Jake Lamb and Danny Mendick, uh, Billy Hamilton, and to a large degree, Leury Garcia. Mostly because we covered Leury Garcia and his you know kind of season outlook in the second base episode, and there's a lot more potential. You know, I want to deal with some other players here in, in the right field episode, um, but I do want to look back at the seasons that Eaton and Goodwin had before we get into the guys that might feature prominently in the future in 22 that are still on the White Sox roster now. Eaton, of course, you know it was it was kind of a weird signing to begin with. A, a lot of White Sox fans were. Uh, surprised by the White Sox um, willingness to run it back to a guy who had been here and been real successful in 2014, 15, and 16. Injuries seem to have taken his toll, taken their toll, I should say, on Adam Eaton in both the 2019 and 2020 seasons. He was a big-time player for the Washington Nationals in his first two years there, 17 and 18. At 32 years old, Eaton was signed by the White Sox to the deal I mentioned uh, early on in the offseason. And in the first month or so, Eaton had a bunch of clutch hits, a couple of home runs uh, that took the lead or won a ball game for the White Sox in the first four weeks of the year. And then a few injuries popped up. And whether it was all injury or age or, or decline, Eaton just wasn't able to stay on the field. And when he was on the field after banging up an ankle and a hip and a knee almost all in the same week, uh, the production just wasn't there for Adam Eaton in 2021. He hit 201. The on base was a shade under 300 at 298, and he slugged 642. Uh, pardon, that was his OPS was 642. He slugged 344, 642. Slugging would have put him in a different category altogether. Anyway, uh, he was signed by the Angels. Um, played a little bit there, but uh, here's hoping Adam Eaton can rebound and, and be healthy um, for some team in 22 once the lockout is over. Uh, health was a big factor for Adam. Not having it was a big factor for the White Sox. Brian Goodwin was uh, signed off the minor league scrap heap. You know, I, I, Brian did a great job with the White Sox in his uh, first couple weeks of the season, too. He hit a walk-off shot. I happened to call the thing for the network. It was a blast. I mean, it was fun to do, and also it was an absolute moonshot in the right field. Goodwin finished, though, on the season underwater in wins above replacement, .5. But you really can't say enough about how a a guy who was just thrown into the mix and hadn't played uh, in the bigs in 21 until getting called up to the White Sox. He spent about two weeks at AAA Charlotte before getting into the big league mix. He played in total 43 games in right field and, and some elsewhere. The season totals for Brian Goodwin don't really, I think, illustrate how badly the White Sox needed his production for his first four or five weeks 
Um, he was league average or a little bit better for the first month and a half he was there and, and flagged some afterward. Uh, got swing, swinging and missing quite a bit in the last month of the season uh, and then ended the year with a hamstring. Wasn't able to make the White Sox playoff roster, but it was, you know, really in 2021, it was signings like Brian Goodwin and Billy Hamilton uh, in a lot of circumstances that kept the White Sox above water in right field. Um, we want to get into some of the other guys that are going to play, you know, they're on the roster that are big time pieces of the future, potentially in right field and maybe in some other spots. But when we get back, we'll talk about Andrew Vaughn and Gavin Sheets and some others who might be big time competitors for at bats in right field in 2022. You got White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports is the home of the White Sox. This is White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. Follow Chicago's home for sports on Twitter at ESPN 1000. Welcome to White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. Upgrade your game day experience this 2022 season to a private diamond suite. It's the perfect space for hosting family and friends or entertaining clients for a game. For more information, call or text 312-674-1000 or visit whitesocks.com. Welcome back in. Good morning, everybody. It's the first White Sox Weekly of 2022. Happy New Year's Day. In case you're a little bleary-eyed from staying up late, a reminder that all our shows can be downloaded on the ESPN Chicago app. We're doing our season staple segment. It's the positional review and preview episode. Today, we're digging into right field. In the last segment, we just went through Adam Eaton, Brian Goodwin, and some of the necessary veteran additions to the 2021 team that, um, you know, some played well and some underwhelmed when trying to fill in for injuries all the way across the outfield to Eloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, and Adam Engel. I do want to mention, and and I won't spend too much time on Adam Engel um, because White Sox fans are very familiar with him. Uh, The injuries took him out of 2020 and 2021, or at least the bulk of them. Uh, He did play well in 20 when he did play and was able to hit right-handers and feature uh, quite a bit. Uh, His defense is top-notch. But he was robbed of a, of a lot of ability um, in 2021 due to injuries, uh, shoulder, hamstring, uh, knee, I think, for a little bit as well. So uh, all the best to Adam Engel. And, and, you know, he can mix in and be a very quality fourth outfielder. But White Sox fans are well aware of it. I wanted to deal mostly with Andrew Vaughn and Gavin Sheets in this part of the segment before we get to, uh, in the next, some ideas for trades or free agents that the White Sox could acquire to fill out right field in 2022. I was amazed by Andrew Vaughn's rookie season. Um, whether or not he should have been pressed into action in his, you know, in what was a wild 2022 is, I, I think, still a fair debate, right? Um, the idea that you'd bring up this kid who hadn't had a lot of minor league time due to COVID and, and the, no minor league seasons straight into the majors was both a bit of a gamble on the White Sox side of things and also a show of faith in the kind of of makeup and talent and ability that Vaughn has. I think if you'd have told Sox fans that Vaughn's rookie season would would show equal parts of flash in ability at the plate and a little bit of struggle as right-handers go, specifically looking at breaking balls and being lost a little bit, you'd probably have said, yeah, okay, that makes some sense. That's 
kind of how right-handers come into the game. An OPS plus of 92, which means he was about 8%, uh, 8% lower than the league average production. He hit 235, he slugged 396, and a lower back injury took away the last three to four weeks of his season as well. Still, I think what Andrew Vaughn showed the White Sox, and maybe even himself to a certain point, is his athletic ability, you know, being a first base only guy and moving out to left field, you know, primarily left field for Vaughn, but he played, shoot, 18 games in right last season. You know, he showed you that he's able to handle and and still be okay out there in either corner spot. Now, I think left is his better spot than right. Um, I think the arm plays better in left than it does in right. And the overall athleticism, I mean, he's not a top-end guy. He's kind of kind of a below-average speed dude. But he handles those kinds of, you know, he handles himself well out there in left and, and you know, is learning some in right. He had some of his bigger mistakes in right field, don't get me wrong. But I think the White Sox, you know, I think seeing Andrew Vaughn play right field something like 18 or 20 times in 2022 is, uh, is very much on the table. Now, regular bats and health for Vaughn, I think is the biggest thing for him and, and a huge thing for the White Sox in 22. He mentioned just kind of how worn down he got over the course of his first full big league season. He had never played this many games before, not even close. And of course, you know, like we mentioned, not having a, a minor league season last year due to COVID really affected his ability to get even, you know, just from the the stamina standpoint to get that up to any kind of, you know, major league level. Now, the other guy, of course, that factors into the Sox plans, whether it be you know on the field or perhaps in a trade, is Gavin Sheets. Sheets, all told, played most of his games you know kind of DHing, but Sheets also had 13 games out in right field. He's another guy who who had that first base profile, dropped a ton of weight from last season to this. Uh, didn't play minor league ball, of course, last year nobody did, but Sheets showed you that. You know, as a second-round pick and a guy that um, got a lot of people saw having helium in the last two years or so of his minor league career, I, I thought he debuted really well. Um, at times, he'd be lost in at-bats. But I, I think, you know, just about every night where he'd get, you know, he'd take like four ABs, two would be good, two he'd get lost, and the other one he'd hit into some bad luck or something like that. I thought Sheets showed a lot of growth uh, in terms of having a plan at the plate. He kind of knew what he could get done and knew how to take advantage of of how pitchers began to pitch him later on in the season. Yeah, there were growing pains, no doubt about it. But overall, a 123 OPS plus, he slugged 506, hit himself 11 home runs in just 54 games, and had some big ones too. You know, I mean, the guy was uh, the guy was was prone to drama in 2021 and he handled himself pretty well he hit his first walk-off i think ever of his career i don't think he'd ever hit a walk-off uh up until this season with the white Sox. so that's a a cool moment for him as well now listen with both sheets and vaughn they're the kind of guys sheets at 24 years old 25 years old pardon and andrew vaughn who is going to play all of 2022, well, virtually all. He turns 24 April 3rd, so call it his age 24 season. Um, they're toward the developed side of high-end power, Vaughn probably more so, and, pro- and definitely a, a better um, hit profile, hit tool than Sheets, or at least uh, in terms of scouting reports coming into the bigs. 
Um, they're not the same type of future value-added kind of player, but they are of the same kind of athletic profile all around. Um, Vaughn right-handed and Sheets left-handed, of course. So that kind of balance plays into future White Sox plans as well. I think either could be part of trade discussions once the lockout ends. And I understand that a lot of White Sox fans, I mean, boy, we were talking about what it might take to get Cattell Marte in the second base episode last week. And I, I mentioned Andrew Vaughn might be a guy that you have to move in order to get somebody as talented and under control as Cattell Marte of the Diamondbacks. He signed to a very team-friendly deal and is one of the better players in baseball. And I, I heard it on Twitter. I heard from you. A lot of people are reticent, if not loathe, to include Andrew Vaughn in any kind of trade conversation, much less actually trade the guy. I think Vaughn's got a very bright future in Major League Baseball. And just because we're talking about what it would look like if the White Sox had Vaughn in trade discussions or what it would look like, uh, what the return would look like for Vaughn, doesn't mean anybody wants to do it. Not, not really. It just means that this is the way, this is how contenders go about having to improve their team. You've got to trade some uh, long-term assets for short-term win-now kind of solutions in a lot of circumstances. Um, and that may be the more the way the, the White Sox go with a potential Craig Kimbrell deal once the lockout is over. But for a guy like Vaughn, you don't have to just get win-now pieces. You might be able to get win-now and later pieces because of the potential value of Vaughn down the line to the White Sox or whatever team you're trading him to. Now, to that end, when we come back, we'll get into some of the free agent possibilities and the trade possibilities for the White Sox in right field. Sox fans, you can start planning your 2022 outings to the ballpark. We have party areas of all sizes that can be perfect for you and your group. Learn more about our spaces, including diamond suites or a patio party. For more information, call or text 312-674-1000 or visit whitesox.com. So who could the White Sox trade for or sign to play right field in 2022? That's next. It's White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly. On the home of the White Sox. ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. This is Chicago's home for sports. On app. The ESPN Chicago app. In HD. 100.3 HD2. And of course on AM. ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly. You've got White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I'm Connor McKnight. Sox fans, upgrade your game day experience this 2022 season to a private diamond suite. It's the perfect space for hosting family and friends or entertaining clients for a game. For more information, call or text 312-674-1000 or visit whitesox.com. We're getting into the fun part of the right field review preview episode. We've gone through a bunch of positions so far this year with more to come. Second base was last week, Christmas Day podcast, and today we're getting into right field. It's a brand new year, and the White Sox could have some brand new options roaming right field in 2022. We went through some of the veterans that played right in 21. We went through some of the young players like Andrew Vaughn and Gavin Sheets who did the same, wanted to look at some of the trade possibilities and free agent possibilities that the White Sox, that every team has on the table, I suppose, uh, heading into the, oh, well, when we resume the offseason planned, when we, 
when the lockout ends and teams can resume their offseason plans. So a couple of guys I wanted to get to right off the top, and they are players that, um, you know, you, you know their names. Uh, they're free agents, so you know their names. Michael Conforto, Chris Bryant, Jock Peterson, and Kyle Schwarber. Those, I think, are the big guys out there in right field. Now, could there, are they all right fielders necessarily? No. Um, Kyle Schwarber primarily left in a DH. Red Sox tried to teach him first. Uh, but I think maybe, depending on what you view his potential in right field athletically to look like and how much you value his bat, which should be a lot, uh, he could play right field for some teams. Jock Peterson, something of the same. Michael Conforto of the Mets has done something similar. Conforto's the uh, favorite, I think, of a lot of White Sox uh, potential free agent offseason plan builders. Uh, Conforto hits left, has played for the Mets since 2015. He'd be in his age 29 season in 2022. And while 21 wasn't good for him, uh, 20 and, and, and before that really were... Up until last year, I'm talking 2015 to 2020 for Michael Conforto, it's a slash line of a 259 average, a 358 on base, slugging 484. He's 28% above league average. If you measure it by OPS plus, he's a 128 guy there. Handles the outfield well enough. You know, in his age 29 season, he'll have some uh, some room to grow. Some of his prime, he's a former first-round pick. He went in the first round of the 2014 amateur draft out of Oregon State. Those guys usually end up pretty good. He's made the all-star team once. That was back in 2017. Check out this. It was kind of his high watermark as as a ball player. Um, 2022 being a 60-game season, those were his best season-long numbers, but obviously that that 2020 season had had a whole bunch of mess in it. 2017, he is a 280 hitter, slugged 555, his career high in home runs in a season was 33 in 2019, so I'm sell out for a little bit more power. Uh, there's certainly some pop in the bat. And as a guy who hits left and plays right field, uh, this is somebody that the White Sox could slide into real easily, probably around the middle tier of free agent pricing. Jock Peterson could fill out the same, although his platoon splits as a left-handed hitter historically have been pretty stark. His ability to hit right-handers, great. His ability to left-handers, not so much. Chris Bryant could be a really interesting splash for really any team. I love Chris Bryant as a baseball viewer. Um, I just, you know, his ability to play just about every spot from third to left to center to right to first, it's pretty impressive. Um, I would bet hard on Bryant's rebound in 2022. Uh, he certainly did part of that in 21 with the Giants after being traded from the Cubs over there. Uh, big on Chris Bryant, although he's likely to be uh, probably at a price point the White Sox aren't all that interested in diving into. Kyle Schwarber probably fits the same. He may, and you know we'll see. I'm just kind of basing this off some of the reports that we've seen heading into the lockout and what the White Sox were able to accomplish or willing to spend. Might change some, given how the economics of the game could change with the new CBA. Figure Kyle Schwarber could be a little out of the price range as well. He certainly hit himself into a big contract in 2021. Schwarber's line was, I mean, it was exactly what the Cubs have been waiting for for years up until the point where they traded him, or I guess non-tendered him. He went to sign with the Nationals and then was traded to the Boston Red Sox on the year in 21. 
Schwarber slugged 554 and was on base at 374. He walks a ton and hits for a bunch of power, hits from the left side. And in terms of what, you know, in terms of an at bat profile or an at the plate profile, Schwarber's exactly the kind of guy that you could love in the White Sox uniform. Whether he can handle right field is another question, and I think it's a fair one. I'm a big fan of outfield defense. I think it is crucial, especially in today's game with as many fly balls as we see and how dangerous they can get. Um, Talk with Darren Jackson as often as I do during the season. He's really made me a convert to this idea. Outfield defense is is absolutely critical. Um, Defense across the board, crucial, I think. Maybe even as important as any other facet of the game. Um, whether Schwarber can stay in right field, play 120 games for you in right field, I, I think is going to be kind of is going to depend on the individual evaluations of each organization. I don't know whether the White Sox see him as a right fielder or not. Could he? Yeah. Are the drawbacks there from a defensive standpoint? Yeah. I also think Schwarber is the kind of guy who could out hit whatever defensive spot he's been put in, maybe say center field or something like that. Want to get to some of the trade ideas that I've seen out there as well for the White Sox in 2022. We mentioned, and you can go back and look at the previous episode, the one on Christmas Day, Cattell Marte. He can play anywhere in the outfield. It would cost a lot to get him, but I'll put him in another part, uh, another segment, rather, of the review preview episode. Cattell Marte is a real good young player that may just be... Uh, the prize trade acquisition of some team here in the offseason if Arizona decides to deal him. Jeff McNeil is another name that we got asked about a lot after our second base episode. He's played a lot at second base, uh, 182 games, uh, starts rather, in total. He's also played a bunch in left field, 127 games in total. He's played 46 in right, and this is another guy where I go, okay, see what you do in left. Maybe organization to organization sees him a little bit differently, but Jeff McNeil, from a pure hitter standpoint, comes across pretty well. A lifetime 299 average, slugs 460, a career OPS plus of 124. He's hit a career high of 23 home runs back in 2019. He's not played, injuries have slowed him some over the last two years. In 2020, he played, I think, a little banged up, started in 52 games, and then in 2021, played in 120 games. Last year, a 679 OPS. So it might be that a guy like Jeff McNeil is, is kind of two things on the Mets. Maybe squeezed out by some of the free agent acquisitions they've made, and a guy that you might be able to pick up on a, on a buy low kind of idea. I think a lot of teams around baseball, a lot of people around baseball, see Jeff McNeil um, as a guy that just uh, just didn't quite get the benefit of, of last year um, as a hitter, coming back off that pandemic season and then just kind of you know, being pushed around a little bit by some other outside forces. A lot of people still hold McNeil in high regard, and I think the White Sox would be wise to do so as well. He also bats left-handed and should be able to handle right field. So maybe trading for Jeff McNeil of the Mets could do a lot for the White Sox in 2022. There are other names out there as well, um, although McNeil seems to be, you know, if I were just to do an unscientific Twitter poll of White Sox Twitter, McNeil seems to be that guy that fits the most, being he's a you know a guy that can be had for probably not the most prospect capital. I, you know, I, I'd kind of be guessing at it, but I don't think... McNeil costs you Vaughn or Kopech or Crochet. It will cost you some some names you like, um, but probably not as much as Cattell Marte might cost you, just for instance. Some other guys that I think could be somewhat interesting. Tyler Naquin of the Reds, 
um, was in the rumor mill for the White Sox in the 2020 season uh, when the Sox were looking to add just a little bit. You know, obviously it was difficult to make trades in that 2020 season and not a lot did get made, um, being it was 60 games, but that name was out there. The Tampa Bay Rays are always an interesting squad to do some business with. They seem as willing as anybody to, to make moves, even with players that have been fixtures for them for a while. Kevin Kiermeyer and Austin Meadows are two outfielders there in Tampa Bay that seem maybe to have been either... Um, either squeezed out, aged out, or kind of priced out of Tampa Bay. Sox fans are likely well aware of Kiermaier. He's got an amazing defensive reputation. He's an all-right hitter and has had a few years where he's uh, more than held his own. Last year, 2021, his age 31 season, he hit 259. He was an on-base percentage of 328 for a 104 OPS+. Plus. Um, not a lot of pop. In Kevin Kiermeyer's bat, but he's got some good wheels. Uh, he is, of course, in his, let's see, it's going to be his age 32 season in 22. And he's got one more year left before his free agency in 2023. The price tag on Kiermeyer, though, I mean, the actual price tag, the, the number he's signed to in 2022 is $12 million. He's got a $13 million team option for 23 with a $2.5 million buyout. So it, you know, it may not be free agency for Kiermaier in 23, depending on you know what that new CBA looks like. So to that end, you get out a lot of defense there. Um, and, and perhaps the Rays, you know, at $12 million, you know, might sound, might not sound like a lot for a, for a number of teams, but at 12, the Tampa Bay Rays may be looking at the guy saying it's just too much and he's too old and we've got 19 young prospects willing to take that spot. Maybe the same for Austin Meadows, too, um, who had an, an underwhelming 2020 season, but bounced back with a very powerful 2021, um, finished in 20th in MVP voting, 234 average, 458 slugging, filled with pits and valley, uh, peaks and valleys offensively for Meadows. But when he's hot, he can get very hot. Age 26 season and maybe a guy you could trade for and say, listen, here it is. Change the scenery. Now let it eat. Can you become that kind of top prospect that a lot of teams thought you were when they took you in the first round of the 2013 draft? Those are just some names that are out there for the White Sox. Of course, it's tough to predict trades. And in this offseason, tougher than most. But figured that was a good place to start. In right field, we'll get back into, I think, most of these positions. And as the White Sox restart their offseason plan once the lockout ends, hopefully that's sooner rather than later, you can bet we're going to have all the latest for you here on White Sox Weekly. That does it for us. Happy New Year to everybody. The Hockey Show is next on ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly. White Sox Weekly. On Chicago's home for sports. Only ESPN Chicago at 100.3 HD2 and ESPN 1000.